Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. You're listening to Monsters of Talk. I'm here with my co-host. Hello, I am Jim Short. We're in New York City. This is our last hour in New York City. But, um, you know, it's a city that we love a lot. And we came here. uh, We made some videos. Jim made some amazing videos to uh, promote this idea that I wanted to get on The View. As a regular, full-time co-host on The View. Not just like, because you've been on The View many times. Yeah, but this time it would be like to actually like co-host. So that's something that we're hoping to do. So we thought we would make videos. And then I thought like, my idea was I was going to wear a cat suit and uh, (laughs) dress up like Catwoman, kind of like Sean Young did when she wanted to be on um, Batman. Do you remember that when that happened? Absolutely, yeah. Because that that was the second Batman that Tim Burton was doing. Yeah. First one. This is Michael Keaton Batman. Yes. And uh, it was hugely successful. Uh, Jack Nicholson was the Joker. Yes, which yes. Which was great. That was great. And that, this was the second one, and there was going to be Catwoman. And yes. there was such, especially at that time, what was it, 92, I think, mm-hmm. when it came out. So maybe this is about 91. Mm-hmm. All the speculation, who's going to be Catwoman? It was the most coveted role in the Hollywood. The coveted role. The coveted role. Who? I think, was it Michelle Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer was the one who ended up getting it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was beautiful in it. Yes. She was really great. She was really great. But then um, Sean Young campaigned for it, and she got dressed up in a cat suit and then went. So we thought we'd use those same tactics. She went to the studio, right, mm-hmm. and got in. Did she, she got in somehow. I guess she got in because she's Sean Young. I mean, she was famous at the time. She'd done several movies, but she got her, yeah. she got her own cat suit, like, yeah, put together a cat suit and, and a cat woman suit and went down to the studio. Yeah, and freaked out Tim Burton. <laughs> How is that possible? I mean, I didn't know Tim Burton had a bar of where he was like, "Holy shit, this is weird to me." You gotta be freaky if you're going to freak out Tim Burton. Yeah, I mean that's freaky. Yeah, that's just odd behavior. And then she had some more stuff after that with because she, she was with the actor James Woods. Oh, in I a think relationship, she, right? Yeah, after a movie called The Boost, which is actually a really good movie. Yeah. Um, which is all about drug addiction, and it's really pretty realistic. Cause, and James Wood seems like he would be like, he would go off off, off the rails, on rails. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But very like, method, right? He seems like he, he's real cokey in the movie, and um, it's, it's really a scary movie. Right. Um, but supposedly, uh, they had some kind of an affair during the film, and then after the catsuit incident, she um, went after him somehow. So there was le- allegations of some kind of an assault. Some assault, and then right. she like left a doll at his uh, uh, residence Ooh. of like some kind of a doll, but it wasn't clear about about what kind of a doll was it like was it and then i was like was it a cabbage patch doll (laughs) was it a beanie baby (laughs) what kind of doll was it was it like um was it a scary like a madame alexander doll (laughs) was it a haunted doll off ebay yeah was it a trilogy of terror doll was it a was it a um a devil doll a devil doll what like was that? What was that a one? trilogy of terror yeah. like a karen black devil doll no the devil doll um from that video you should oh me. oh devil doll from hell devil doll you mean, from hell um um the devil doll this from hell puppet. this puppet you mean that movie yes by chester uh e what was it i forgot chester e brown it was he made a whole it's like a feature it's like an hour and a half long and you know who brought that over to my house the first time was um, Quentin Tarantino brought it to my house in oh, like wow. 1992 or 1993 and he made me watch it and I was like 
why why do I have to watch this? And then we watched it, and then I showed you, and then you became you really took it and ran with it. Yes, I have it. I still have it. Yeah, because it's like a doll that it's like a. I think what it is is a um, it's a maybe a Willie Tyler and Lester Mannequin dummy that had been like um sold. It, it had been bought in like a charity <laughs> shop, and then they had switched out the Willie and Tyler and the Lester hair, and then they put in like um uh braids like right. Stevie Wonder braids. And then um, in uh, part of the film, they wanted to show the doll coming to life. So they had the doll from behind and then the doll was played by a child. And the child right. had put the Stevie Wonder um, wig on and then gotten up. So it was like they had found a child about the same size <laughs> as the doll. And I remember that there was some a little bit of like they had manipulated the doll to make, like they had done some weird stuff like the woman who adopted the doll was she put pantyhose on the arms so that the arms would have, um, so that when they switched out to the child, the child's arms were the same as the um, the doll's arms. Because I think the doll was wearing a, some kind of a jacket so that you couldn't see the arms, uh -huh. but you could see the arms of the child. Um, and there was a, there was some sort of thing. And then anyway, it's a very it's a very twisted movie because the, uh, the doll ends up coming to life and being very um, ominous. And then I think at one point has sex with a lady, like goes in the shower. It's like psycho. Yeah, because she's always going, this puppet, this puppet, yes. which I, I think was the thing we kept saying to each other. And I think, yeah, when it comes to life, it's like, bitch, yeah. I'm going to get you, bitch. The doll <laughs> it is becomes very, very scary, very uh, inappropriate. Inappropriate and really ominous. But it's weird because in the charity shop, they, they, they had like this woman that was like, running the charity shop that seemed kind of out of time. Like she seemed like she was out of the crucible, you know, that play the crucible. Yeah. <laughs> Cause she was seemed like she was out of the time and that the, 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 maybe they were making it in the late eighties or something. I think that was when the, the film was from, um, but they had made it in the late eighties and then, uh, but they had like characters that sort of spanned all different times. Like, but the woman in it, um, she was sort of victimized by this doll but then I, I think at the end she maybe is possessed by it or becomes the doll. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I, I remember at some point it goes from being a little bit forced to a little bit consensual. Right. Yeah? It becomes, like they end up sort of together. I think they sort of end up together. And then I think what happened was there was a sequel. So oh, I think really? it wasn't over at the end of the film. And this film was like one of those things that it was done all on video. It was done by somebody at their house. And yet it managed to get quite a following i believe you can watch the whole thing on youtube now okay if yeah. you uh, uh if you go into i think it's called devil doll from hell and you look it up and it's chester brown maybe i think it's the director but this was a big feature at um that you could get you could rent it at uh mondo video um it was one of those videos of these movies that survived that era and it, it really was an incredible film and and there's parts of it that are pretty scary yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, it's it's scary and it's also sort of very uh, unsettling. It's very intense and then hilarious in some moments too because the yeah. production values are so. I mean, it's there's none. Mm -hmm. It's just it's very and now it might work as a um, a found footage right type video. You know, if they shot it that way, mm -hmm. but it just looks like that. But 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 not in a documentary style. Right. And I think it was quite influential in its own way because I think a lot of filmmakers saw it. And I think a lot of people like were going, I can make movies like that. And then 
You know, stuff like that really uh, has another life on YouTube. I wonder if Quentin would ever reference that in 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 a, like, you know, how he's sort of got all these these great homage type ideas to other films, like we talked about with Mandingo mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Django, like mm -hmm. you talked about. Well, he um, was very influenced by Devil Doll, and I know that he was also influenced by another film called Abby. <laughs> Have you ever seen Abby? No. Abby is like. Um, Abby is to The Exorcist what Blackula was to the to Dracula series, because <laughs> you know Blackula was sort of the um, sort of black exploitation uh, Dracula. Mm. Um, Abby was um, the uh, sort of black exploitation Exorcist. Wow! So it was um, the same story, you know, about a young girl who gets possessed, and um, I think it's got a, a lot of really big stars in it. Um, but uh, it was around the same time period, uh, like the early 70s, of that kind of horror genre. But he was very obsessed with Abby. Um, he, he should do a horror-type film at some point. I think so. I think so. I wonder if that's in him somewhere, because he's sort of getting all that. That would be interesting to see if that manifests itself later on. I hope so. Because I can see that he would be completely into that. Cause well, he does love the horror genre, and he is quite quite a genre filmmaker. Uh -huh. So I think that that would probably be in his future, and then we can we can go and sit and watch that. <laughs> you know, I know he's not like really a gore guy, right? Like you know, he likes cinema violence, but if it's in a sort of a cartoonish way, you know, he doesn't mm. really like super gory stuff. You know that that he did. I remember we watched some things, and he would be like, well, "I don't, I can't, I can't really get into this." Yeah, you know, where I have like, I have zero tolerance for any of it, but I, I still will be up to watch it. Yeah, for the experience, let me see what this is. Just to cover my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes just watching something that's so bad, mm -hmm. too, it's just, that's why you end up watching it. Right. Because it's something is so badly done and the acting's so bad. Well, That's why yeah. things become cult classics. It becomes like cult that. classics. But there was a time in like the 90s, like, and probably in the late 80s, like, this is like when video stores became a big thing where you would have to have a lot of content. So, and then they had stuff that, you know, teenagers would rent, and that would be like all those Friday the 13th movies, but then also all those like Faces of Death ones. Yeah, yeah. Which we've talked about, a touched a little bit on, and my old friend Nick Bugas, who made one of those films, but those were really scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wonder like, I guess you could go back now. I mean, um, there's a bunch of them. Um, Mondo Kane is probably the main sort of one that they all kind of ripped off. Because Monde Cane is like the Italian exploitation movie from the 60s right. that has the, I think it, it has people eating brains and it has, it's a lot of nudity and it's a lot of like salacious stuff, but it does have quite a lot of like crazy gory footage too. Some it's, of it looks faked. It's, I was going to say some of it real, but it's so sensationalized. Right? Yes, yes. That that was the intent of it to yes get people to to question it. Did you just really see that? You, yeah. Did you? We did. Did we just watch that? And then it was also a way to use up footage that they didn't know what to do with, you know, and stuff that like oh, outtakes okay. and films, and then like things like newsreels or whatever, and just all the stuff that was really outrageous that they wanted to put somewhere, but it wasn't long enough to make a real movie, so they had to kind of put it all in one, and then this sort of became a genre a filmmaking where you would take like these little snippets of film that they got and then then it became like this thing there was a bunch of them in Japan there was like a series of like Japanese like auto accident ones mm -hmm. where they would just show like little parts of stuff like things that were happening and then there's a magazine um, in Mexico uh, called Alarma 
which is all it is, is just horrible stuff, like horrible crime photos from the whole country. And like, I watch it and I just like, I can't believe, I'm not watching, but I look at it. Yeah. I read like Alarma. Alarma was a magazine that you could probably get like at Food for Less, um, (laughs) you know, when that was open. Yeah. Yeah. And Food for Less closed on Sunset because there was a shooting outside. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Well, I think the prices went up. Oh, yeah. They had food for more. (laughs) And then they had a shooting. Was that recent? Within the year? Yeah, yeah. I think it was... Yeah, it it, is gone, right. It's gone. But I I think there was some violence in the front, and then they had to charge more for their food. Because they had to pay for security, right? Yeah. But one time, Terry... Do you remember Terry Chu? Terry Chu and I went into Food for Less, and we we got a whole chicken dinner, made a whole chicken dinner for less than $5. (laughs) Wow. We, like, bought a whole chicken, and, like, everything... For salad and all everything. All the fixings. All the fixings for like five people. For a five spot. For a five spot. For five people? For, a, for, for five, five dollars? But we had to make it, but it was, and we had to defrost it. But it was cheap. It was definitely for less. And you went out and just cooked it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing when you think what it costs to really just, did people cook anymore? I don't know. I don't, and I don't know if people read Alarma. No. I think it's online. Oh, maybe switch to that, yeah. Well, they have a new life because um, there's a lot of violence now in Mexico because of the drug cartel violence. Yeah, I was going to say, that, 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 it's a, that would be a resurgence for them right there. Well, yeah, for, for Alarma because there's a lot more stuff to cover. I, like a centerfold every week of, the, of a new head that's been found somewhere. Because <laughs> they're always finding a head or, or, a, or a body without a head. It's either, it's, yeah. it's either or. Well, they put it all in front of the supermarket too, kind of like oh, yeah, food for yeah. less. So food for less is the right thing, the right place for it. I mean, this is all this all happens where I work, um, outside of Juarez, mm. in Tonillo, um, by Mexico. So I feel very very close to all that, and uh, I know somebody who wrote who wrote the book on it. So I'm supposed to blurb it, mm. but I'm afraid a little bit yeah, also. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's okay. I mean, because I think, you know, with, what happens with the Mexican drug cartels, I think, this is my theory, I obviously don't know anything about it, but I do know that um, the people involved in it are um, the ones who are, are kind of effect- affected by the violence of it. So it's, it's, it, it is in a way, it's very insular, mm-hmm. you know, and they make a big point when they talk about it that we only uh, are doing this and we, we do this because of uh, what's happening. You know, this has to do with people here and this is affects people here. And I don't know. I don't know. Like the, the, the victims, if you call them victims, are actually people that in their estimation deserve what they got. Right. Like and this they, was yeah. retribution for something, whatever. But there must be some innocent people who. I think so. Who get mixed up in it every well, once in a while and, 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 and lose their head. And true, truly, in a sense, they're all innocent. And yeah. the victim we are all a victim to drugs. That's the, the, vic, the, vic, the victim is humanity and our um, enslavement to uh, drugs and to plants. And this is what I've said for a long time, plants are taking over the world. <laughs> and they That's don't right. realize, people don't realize that plants have it in for us because they want to get fertilized. Right. We are in the way. Well, we're just the perfect fertilizer. Right, right. And we're in the way because we're destroying the environment. Yes. We're destroying the ozone. We're messing up the water. We're polluting everything. And, and we, we can feed them mm-hmm. in a sense. And if we didn't exist anymore, then the plants would have it a lot better. Because then the plants could really just grow. Right. 
you know, we're the ones that are building these concrete cities, these concrete jungles. We're destroying the plant life. But the one thing that still exists, no matter what, is the plants. You see the weeds come up out of the cracks and sidewalk. Fungus grows everywhere. Mold grows everywhere. Kudzu is out of control. Um, plants will always grow. But, but humanity seems to think that they're on the top of the food chain. Well, guess what? They're not. And drugs are proof. <laughs> is that nature's way of sort of uh, evening it out a bit? Yes. Uh, grow this. And, uh, but not, not all of those, well, necessarily kill people. No. But they get, I, they, I, they, I think they do get them hooked. They do though. get them hooked. Maybe they get them hooked and then they do stupid things. Right. And then they for, just. For some of the, quote, less um, harmful drugs mm. that don't have the deadly effect that the others do. Right. But then there's, you know, drugs, they're like, drugs, they're like, there are some that are good and some that are bad, just like people. There are some that are good and there's some that are bad. And unfortunately, the bad ones seem to have a lot more control. Yeah. So be it mold, be it the poppy. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> how how did some? Uh, did, did I always wonder how did some become? Uh, well, I guess maybe the others don't have the properties. But like, how do people find that? that I don't that's know. That's the one to smoke, and that's the one to do that. The medicinal, with, and, and that's the one that just you know doesn't do fucking anything. I don't know. I know with marijuana, there's a long history of it. Marijuana has a, with the hashashin and the. You know, like it's got like 5,000 year history of use. Um, the poppy, uh, the opium poppy has an even longer history, you know, something like 10,000 years or whatever. I mean, the, the, these are these are plants that were used by the Sumerians. People, people, the ancient peoples use these, these to heal and to um, do medical work and to do shamanism. So I think a lot of the drugs that we look at psychotropically are really, uh, their origins are in um, worship they're in mm -hmm. shamanism. They're in um, sort of trance kinds of stuff. You know, that kind of thing where you, you know, you had a lot of more community with nature. I think the earlier societies, civilizations had a lot more of a connection with nature. And there are many people who say that a lot of modern medicine is just pharmaceutical chemicals. Yes. Whereas the natural remedies that you can, there are people who will swear that you can heal everything with natural stuff. True. I think that's true. And, but that means also changing your diet completely, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your lifestyle, is this and that. And it's fucking much more boring, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's is it a worth lot more. being alive at that time. <laughs> I think so. But then a lot of, you know, the, but a lot of the synthetic chemicals, synthesized drugs are from plant derivatives or they're created, they're, 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 their DNA is replicated. You know, it's like stuff that originated as a plant substance that they re recreated in a, in a sort of a scientific environment. You know, they, they, um, they look at the original sort of like the DNA or whatever of it, and it does originate like from a plant idea, a plant substance, I think. Right, right. But then it's, but it's, but they are pharmaceutical, yes. uh, more chemical things. Whereas, you know, you, there are these people who are like, oh, you can get rid of cancer with this and that and very ancient sort of remedies yes. and, and whatever. Yes. But then there are those people who, who do go do try that and then it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But is that because maybe it's just too late? Too, who too, knows? Too bad. You know, you always hear about some people and a lot of them are very expensive too to go mm -hmm. to get those treatments because you have to go to usually yeah. somewhere else in the world and do that. Disease is very mysterious and, and, and something that's like cancer, which is like it is its own life form in its own mm. way. You know, it makes its own decisions 
about you and where it's going to live in you. And who knows what that is? I mean, who knows what kind of being that is? And if it has some kind of control, we don't even understand. We haven't been able to, been able to cure it, you know? So, and, and, or something like AIDS, which is sort of, that's almost different because AIDS just is something that just leaves you vulnerable to everything. Yeah. You know, it just destroys your immune system, which is another kind of a horror. It, it seems like we, well, we've become more impure in the last century. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. more and more because we dump more shit in, oh, yeah. in the air mm-hmm. and the rivers and the water. I right. always wonder, like, why more people seem to get cancer? I mean, I'm well, maybe because we have more population, but right. there's more shit out there that's causing it. Yes. We eat worse. There's more additives and shit that you don't need in the food. And I'm not one of these, like, oh, you know, uh, you know, eat more natural food, whatever. But th- you, there definitely is. They're just pumping steroids and chemicals into the into the animals and mm-hmm. into the feed. And uh, it's just like we have gotten more, uh, you know, it's like there's less value on that, like the coexisting with nature. Right. There is and less And we're going to drill everywhere. And I mean, I'm not that you shouldn't, but there's no like, well, we don't need to protect this anymore. No. There's that mindset. No. And I mean, I think it's really disrespectful to plants and to the idea of plant life. And it's also disrespectful in the idea that we think we are the boss of everything as humanity, that we have it over the animal kingdom and over the plant kingdom somehow. Do you remember, and I don't know if this is your thing, kind of camp science fiction, Lost in Space? Mm-hmm. Remember the episode where the plants sort of uh, wanted to take back the... the Whatever planet it was, and there was the man who was a carrot. Uh, no. Do you remember that? No. He was in a carrot outfit, and his face was painted orange, and he was a carrot. And uh, all the plants were basically striking back against the human race. That is really ingenious. That is really... And it's a, it's a really famous episode, and I actually just watched it, a, a documentary on science fiction television uh, on PBS recently. Where it went talked about Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and Star Trek and 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 then this one was one of the most well known episodes of Lost in Space because it's so campy as well, but it also had that message of you know let's not disrupt all the environment. Yeah, carrot people will eventually. <laughs> but that show was pretty campy too. That show was really campy with Doc Doctor Smith. Doctor Smith, you bubble headed booby. You bubble headed booby. <laughs> and then- <laughs> they talked about how he um, he he was such an over actor. Uh-huh. He, that he purposely did it to steal scenes, uh-huh. and he wrote it, and he would just say his own dialogue oh, to, and he'd be just overdoing it, and and they had all the actors talking about like, you know, how it worked for him, yeah, in that he became like he wasn't the star of the show, but he kind of became the more memorable one. Well, he's the, I don't remember he anybody else. He over, and he was and he was an asshole because he was always going to fuck everybody over. To get off the planet. He was always, always selling everybody down the river, Dr. <laughs> Smith. And then, was he a medical doctor? I don't know what he was. I don't know what kind of doctor he was. But he was always, like, really fucking people over and then taking off the, the, the robot's battery pack. Yes. <laughs> He's always powering down the poor robot. Yeah, because the robot was going to grass him up. The robot was going was gonna to snitch him out. Well, the robot was really great. I like that. I love the robot because the robot was really like a moral center and only wanted to protect Will Robinson, mm. you know, and the family. Yeah. And then like Dr. Smith, 
Dr. Smith would just always get everybody in trouble. He was a bitch. He was such a bitch about everything. He was such a bitch. And he seems like he'd be friends with like Tony Randall from <laughs> The Odd Couple. <laughs> Very much like that. Very much. Tony, and we talked recently about Tony Randall. Uh, Tony Randall was great. There's so many of those great actors of that time period. I remember watching um, whatever show, one of the talk shows, you know, back when people would go on there and they'd really just tell stories. Might have been on The Tonight Show and Robert Klein was on. Oh, yes. And he was talking about how Tony Randall was just so, not annoying, but he was just so persnickety about shit, especially about smoking. Uh-huh, uh-huh. About he didn't want to be around any smoke or cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I think he said to Robert Klein was having a smoke and Tony Randall said to him, lips that touch tobacco will never touch mine. <laughs> Robert Klein's like, don't worry about it. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about it at all. Oh, my gosh. But it was just so funny he would say that. And I think we established that Tony Randall was not himself gay, but played. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That almost gay character on, we talked about Love, Sydney, that TV show. Yeah, that was a good show. And I think we we, we got onto another topic. But yeah. that was in the 80s, and he was a man that took care of some kids but the understory was that he was gay. It's just they couldn't say it. They couldn't say it. They just never said it. And um, But it's still kind of read that he was a gay. Very implied. Sort of a gay parent. But Robert Klein, do you remember that show that Robert Klein, uh, maybe it was on, was it on Comedy Central? He had a show that was, he would talk to comics. And it was like, he would yeah. have like one comic on. I did that show like way, way early on, like in the late 80s and early 90s. And then I had dinner with Robert. Uh-huh. And, uh, then uh, we actually, we sort of went on a little bit of a date and then he was much older than me and I couldn't have been more than 20. Wow. He was probably 70 or something. Yeah, because he was, that was his tag. He was the child of the 50s, man of the 80s. Was that his thing? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Or was it child of the, no, it wasn't the 60s. I don't think it was, it said probably the 50s. Yeah. But he was very nice. Um, it, We were in Orlando and we were there and... um. Is that where the show was done? It was done in it was done in the show. It was done sort of in this uh, like uh, what the show was done maybe on Paradise Island or I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. We had it was a very it was a very quiet kind of show. It was like there was no audience. It was a little bit like comics only, but there was no audience, and so it was just a very quiet kind of uh, talk show. And it was just him and I, and then we just sat, and then we talked, and we out went out for dinner afterwards. And I was real nervous because I'd never actually um, hung out with a. Uh, sort of a comedian or you know somebody that was that was sort of famous and and also real groundbreaking yeah like i mean he was one of those guys that really did sort of change everything yeah and and made it you know made stand up kind of really cool and different and yeah i don't want to say the world alternative because now that's sort of a a, a, a term that doesn't mean anything to anyone right but it was it was more personal Right, much more personal. Not just the standard, you know, jokes that people were telling. Yeah, yeah, and silly too. Like, was it? Very. I can't silly. stop my leg. I can't stop my leg. <laughs> Which, it, but there was like a long build-up too. I mm-hmm. can't stop my leg. It went on and on and on and on and on and on. So we should find him. Um, is he? He's still around, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, he gave me a lot of support in the beginning, as did uh, Alan King. Was he cool to you? He was really cool to me. Because <laughs> he was very. Um, he became very crotchety in his public persona about mm. comics and, and swearing and things like that. He was always very supportive. That's uh, nice. And Charles Grodin also. Grodin, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. <laughs> so all these guys are really into me. And then, and then Woody Allen also, very into me. 
But I, I think I, I know Woody Allen has maybe ulterior motives. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to. He wants to. Uh, his he other, has his Polaroid camera, right? His other, Did you ever meet Woody? Other reasons. No, but Woody Allen said that in an article that I was his favorite comedian. Really? Yeah. So I was like, wow. I think that's great, but it's true. I that's actually, a, I, I, I'm his favorite comedian, which I was like, well, I'm going to be in one of your movies. He, well, he seems to put so many people. He just, his new one, Blue Jasmine, was shot in San Francisco, mm. New York and San Francisco. That's great. There's a great scene of, I think, Louis C.K. and Kate, Kate Blanchett walking down by Ocean Beach. Wow. On the, you know, on the, the walkway with the, you know, the big sort of the, the cement, oh, whatever it is, yeah. uh, uh, wall there. Oh. With the steps down to the beach. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That makes me homesick. That's a really yeah. That that's yeah. a wonderful area by the museum to make. And he, he hadn't shot a, uh, a a movie in San Francisco since Play It Again, Sam, in nineteen seventy two. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, that's a but great movie. But I want to see. Yeah, he should. Put he me, should I come mean, talk to us. He should come talk to us. I mean, I, I would love to. I would love to talk to him, and I would love to see him. Now we're just waiting. Now we're just waiting for Miss Guy, who said he's on his way. On, the, on his way. Who's coming right now? Actually, Woody Allen was um, uh, Mort Saal, who has been living up in Mill Valley, uh huh, and doing stuff. There's a great theater up there called the Throckmorton Theater, uh huh. And Mark Pitter, great mm, comic, Mark, uh, yeah. runs a Tuesday show there. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, you know, Mill Valley is just really gorgeous and nice anyway. Yeah, and great supportive community. And Mort has been living up there and doing shows. Oh. Hey, we're here. Where are you? Oh, we're on the 12th floor. You have to get in the elevator. You have to, sorry, you have to go down to the lobby and go to the elevator that's on the far left to get to the 12th floor. And we're in penthouse B. So you go to the elevator, get out of the elevator and then go right to take the one. No, well, you go to on the far left elevator to come up here, and then when you get out of the elevator up here, you turn left. Okay, and our doors open. Bye. Good. But Mort uh, has been living up in Mill Valley and doing stuff at the Throckmorton. But he just did a quick run, a recent run here in New York at a club, and Woody Allen came to hang out with him. Oh, that's incredible! So they got to you know both seventy plus year old men hang out talking about mm. those amazing days. That's incredible. I would love I would love to I would love to meet um Woody Allen. Does he still do that gig where he plays clarinet on Monday? Here? I don't know if I don't know if it's still on Mondays because that was always his reason for not doing the Oscars. Yeah. I do something to... on Monday nights. I play clarinet mm-hmm. with this with this group. I always love his like musicianship. I always thought it was like the coolest thing that he was yeah. pretty into it. Like he ch- ch- into jazz and all of his like Movies have that like jazz score in the beginning. And that was the thing because we had David and uh, Mitra, your your uh, your great musician friends, mm-hmm. and you were downstairs getting something, and they just picked up your guitar, and they started playing uh, Les Vies en Rose uh, and whistling along, and and I'm, and I had to record it, and we'll put it in something, but it sounded like the beginning of a Woody Allen movie, yeah, with the black, you know, because he's done the same credits basically yeah. since the beginning, the black screen, great. the white letters, and. Uh, either Django Reinhardt or mm-hmm. some kind of music like that. Just very simple, usually guitar. Which is, and it's always really beautiful and it just sets you up for the, the experience because, I mean, that that's just, just like you just get used to it. Like the black... Um, with the white, with the white lettering, you you just know what you're gonna kind of gonna get in for. Yeah, which is great. That's why I'm excited. Excited when we go back to Europe to do all of our podcasts and why I want to go to Italy and do stuff in Paris and and stuff because it'll have a very Woody Allen feeling because now he's become a very European auteur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
you know, doing stuff in Rome and, and doing stuff in Paris, which, and, and in, in Barcelona and right. you know, all over Spain, which I love. Yeah. I love his European movies. Mm-hmm. They've been really good. It's been, I think it gave him a new, a new sort of, um, direction sort of. Yeah. And they, they really respect him in Europe in a way that they don't really respect him in America anymore. Right. You know, it, it's well, he just was different. never exactly like the, you know, he was always very like a specific group of people were into him anyway. Yes. So, you know, that's the thing. And now it's sort of, it's like even more specific, but uh, just some amazing films. Yeah. Really amazing. But the, the European films are great. And I think here, here comes Miss Guy. Here comes, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what, uh, do you want to have a seat? Right. Is that right? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, we're here with uh, Miss Guy. Hi. Hello. Hello. Miss Guy is so many different things. Punk rock, um, royalty, um, <laughs> singer, songwriter, musician, um, impresario, DJ, model, actor, actress, um, <laughs> son, mother, daughter. What, 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 do you, what do you think? Friend, lover. Friend, lover, <laughs> lover, boyfriend, husband, wife. What do you describe? What would you, what would you say? Uh, I would say I'm a entertainer mm-hmm. of sorts, doing all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's the best. That's entertainers yeah. at all. You know, I I I I'm a DJ. I'm a musician. I'm a singer. I guess those are my main things that I do and love. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, when I go through customs, I usually put entertainer. Yeah, that's always the easiest. <laughs> it's the easiest. Yeah. You know, that's like I always just put that. Yeah. You know, they're looking at it like. What exactly is in what kind of entertainment? Right. Yeah, I feel like I get less questions that way. Um, mm-hmm. When I put musician, they're like, well, what's your band called? And then they want to know if they've heard of my band, and they usually haven't. Yeah, right. And it's just easier they to, you know, say entertainer. Uh-huh. I would put animal lover if that would work. I don't well, know. Well, that works too. <laughs> I don't know, would it? I think so. I think, it's really, I, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but what's so remarkable about you for me is that you are best known in my my life as a, a punk rocker, and that is such a world of straight boys. Yeah. And I know that a lot of straight boys love your music, and that you have like quite a straight boy following, yeah. even though <clears throat> you know there there is something so queer about what you're doing, but it's also very straight punk rock you know it comes from like from it reminds me of like california hardcore and like new york like cbgb stuff um what is that what it what is your your like influence in getting into songwriting from from your perspective into this very very sort of straight male male world well i i always loved rock music growing up and my family was very musical so we um had a lot of music in the house and my one of my older brothers brought home like you know one day he brought home the B52's first record and Diva's first record and Blondie's Parallel Ooh. Lines and um you know a, an X record maybe Ramones mm. and totally I lost my mind you know I was sort yeah. of like scared and freaked out by the covers and the music when I mm. was listening to it but totally inf- infatuated and uh, obsessed really so I got into that and I started seeing bands um, very young and um, I just uh, sort of felt like, you know, it was something that was speaking to me and that I felt like I could 
sort of speak to people mm-hmm. through that genre. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started doing Toilet Boys, I um, had, you know, a lot of people like it. And I also had a lot of people not like it, especially if we were opening for bigger bands mm-hmm. and the audience really wasn't there for us. So, but they would, I would always kind of, for the most part, win them over yeah. somehow, you know, whether it was just, you know, cracking jokes or whatever. I never took myself, I don't take myself too seriously. And I think that that, comes through but you know I I think that you know a music lover whether it's a rock lover or a punk lover they're going to um if they like the music they're gonna that's gonna be the number one thing um over like the way I look visually Mm -hmm. and I think that ultimately I think that um you know punk is a mentality and I think that you know I have a punk mentality and I think anyone with a punk mentality sort of gets what I'm doing and and you know I, I think they get that, you know, it's kind of what the way I presented myself, especially with the Toilet Boys, was sort of tough and, mm-hmm. and very punk, you know, really. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I guess I guess I just was lucky. I never got my face but, punched in by but, some straight macho punk rocker. But punk, in, in a lot of ways, had that sort of thing where it was very inclusive of everyone that might have felt not part of the 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 rock and roll world mm-hmm. right you know punk itself was a bit shunned yeah and so it it sort of it attract it attracted everyone that felt like i don't feel that there but here i feel even though it might have that 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 kind of that that idea that it, it you may you know it may be like rough and and hardcore but it was very open and inclusive of like Right, and we're all just doing this. Yeah. Just it, jump it, it, in it, here. We're good. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Outcasts, you know, mm-hmm. were drawn to that genre. I think. Yeah, but some <clears> certain, like, like with Blondie, like I think about, I think about you and Blondie in the same, in the same mindset, just because, even like somebody like you and somebody like Debbie Harry, you're still misfits because you're so beautiful <laughs> that it's freaky. She is. Both of you. You're sweet. But she the, says hi, by the way. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Um, we want to interview her in next scene. Um, yeah. We're going to talk to them when we're going to try to follow them on tour this summer. I but, was just in the UK with them. Oh. I spent like 10 days with them traveling around while they were so on tour. Wonderful. So much fun. Yeah. Well, we heard that Chris Stein actually shits in his tour bus. Um, that this we, Because we can't <sighs> shit in our tour bus. Yeah, it's a big no-no. <laughs> but we heard that he actually throws caution to the wind. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know they had a lot of rules. Um, no, they didn't have a lot of rules. There, there were there. That was the only rule, really, was not to shit on the bus. And I wouldn't have. And even if it was allowed, I don't think because I would have just felt too shy and yeah, want to stink. You know, stink out the band. We'd have to get. To, we have to get to the bottom of this. We'll have to. We'll have to talk to Chris Stein himself. Yeah, if it was my <laughs> tour bus, it would be a different story. But since I was a guest on their tour bus, I would have. You know. But um, no, I don't know. I would have to. Uh, we'll have to ask Chris. I I love touring um, with Debbie. She's such a calming and grounded and beautiful. Oh yeah, person. you guys did the. Uh, we toured together for a couple of years in a row for, for True, true, true yeah, Colors. Yeah, yeah. And this is when she was with um, her just her solo, solo band, right. not with Blondie. And then so she had put together this, this great band and we were on tour. And I know that she was having a hard time because her, her dog was dying. Yeah. So she was going back and forth. She was flying back home and like seeing her dog who's 14. Chi Chi, yeah, who was with her for fourteen years. You know that's such a long time, and know. you know that is the hardest thing to 
do with. But you know, when I think about her and I think about you and I think about punk rock and it, it does make sense that it is, it is like the, you guys are very much punk rock bands, but you and Debbie represent that kind of like ethereal beauty that it's like, you're beautiful, but you're like, you're like in the middle of all this grungy, dirty <laughs> downtown stuff, you know, like it's like, well, like a beautiful, like a pearl. <laughs> <laughs> well, she definitely is a pearl. Yeah, she's so outrageously beautiful. I mean, she's a total freak of nature. It's just well, you are too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Margaret. Both lovely, but I, it's like the same. She's like your your um your mother, your spiritual mother. Yeah, I feel like that. You know, connection with her for sure. You know, she's such a great friend, and I feel like she's she's she is family to me. You know, mm-hmm. and um, but yeah, she's she's a true punk rocker. I mean, you know, Blondie you know, delved into many genres musically, as mm. we all know. But um which I think was such a punk thing to do. Yeah. Not just sticking to like No, they were one reggae, thing. they were disco, they were uh, rap. Rap. Rap yeah. hip hop. I mean originators. Yeah. 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 I mean, along with punk rock and a lot of doo-wop and yeah. I mean girl you, groups. I mean they did, did so much. They were so experimental really and so inventive. And she's such a great singer. And I think yeah. she's you know, I mean everyone knows that she's you know, great, and that Blondie's great. And I mean, her and Chris really were so interested in other things happening in New York, not just the punk scene or the rock scene or the art scene. I mean, they went uptown to, you know, where they were doing like hip hop parties in, Mm -hmm. you know, basements when nobody went up there. And, you know, brought, and it's just, it's, and they're still like that. They're very curious and, 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 um, they really like to explore other things that aren't really being um, touched. But she was always all over. Like, I, I met her. The first time I met her was in um, 1980, no, ni- 1996 in Aspen. It was a big comedy festival there. And she was there with Penn Jillette. Mm. And, uh, and then, I, you know, I met her and I was just like on her immediately. And I was talking to her and I wanted to talk about Videodrome and I wanted to talk about... <laughs> you know, parallel lines. And I wanted to talk about Steven Sprouse and I had all these questions. And then she's like, please don't ask me anything. Cause I don't remember a thing. Please don't ask me any <laughs> questions. I don't remember any details. Don't remember. I don't remember. And I go, I was asking, but she totally remembered everything. And she was so sweet. And then, but she was with Pendulette and Pendulette was had the most frizzy. This is what I was telling you. Had the most frizzy long ponytail, <laughs> balding, frizzy long ponytail, but he had like, um, all of his hair in like a silver barrette that, you know, it was like, um, oh my God, you know, it was great. like a silver bar with like a, a, a stick through it, mm-hmm. but it was like a sterling silver, like a nine, <laughs> 9.25, <laughs> like holding a butt, but it was like embossed, like it was like embossed. And from the back, he just looked like somebody's aunt. <laughs> like he looked like a, like a customer of women and women first, you know, that Portlandia <laughs> feminist bookstore. Right. Like if from the back, he just looked like this, somebody's old aunt, like, cause his hair was really unconditioned and frizzy. <laughs> and then it was like in this giant barrette, but not even a barrette it was like a ponytail holder. Yeah. Those things that like hippie women used to wear in the late sixties or early seventies that right. like, yeah, they were usually leather. They're usually like leather. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But this was silver, uh, 9.25. So yeah. <laughs> special silver from Tosco. I'm I'm always like looking at my hairline and thinking, is it, am I, you know, do I need to cut it off? Because I don't want to be that old rocker with like the long thinning ponytail or, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, no. But yeah. But I, it is, we, but he was like, he, and then he, his I was, look was pretty crazy. His yeah. look was so, it was just, it was this big, um, this silver thing. And I saw him and then I, I was so embarrassed and I was like, how can you hang out with Debbie Harry with a giant silver barrette in your hair? They were dating. Right? Yeah. 
And then, um, but he still had this giant silver barrette and she was just so lovely and uh, she was redhead at that time. Yeah. Um, She's so pretty and, but he, he was like a silver barrette wearing guy. Weird. I think he's cut his hair since then, no? It's still maybe. fairly long, but oh, maybe he's fair. tamed the ponytail. I don't know when it's so frizzy like that. It's just, when it's so curly. And thin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thin and frizzy is not a good look. For, but for it anybody. was like Th- thin frizzy. The boys are not back in town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're never coming back. Any. <laughs> this is play the cowboy no, song. It's eight minutes long. I like that. <laughs> He's one of my Finn favorite would be a good, a good band. She's Finn not, Frizzy, uh, she's yes. not Phil Linnet, honey. That should be like a. <laughs> There's a Phil limit to everything. <laughs> He's one of my favorite singers. <laughs> He's one of my favorite singers. Oh, such they're, a beautiful voice. They're a beautiful band. I know. They're a beautiful band. Then their their songs are like eight minutes long. <laughs> his his uh, the uh, Phil Lynott or Thin Lizzy music behind the music thing actually made me cry it was so heartbreaking when he mm-hmm. died and his mo- with the, 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 his mother and everything it was just you know they're all pretty heartbreaking but that one was really just it's like, really heartbreaking yeah it's really heartbreaking and i mean it's like i think musical rock and roll there's it's full of heartbreak but you're you're a success story you you're making music you're still in new york you're doing really <laughs> well you have an album coming out I do. Now, what is your album? Now, did you, so you wrote all the songs for the record. Mm-hmm. What is it like? What is, what's your song process like? What is your songwriting process like? Uh, us- well, you know, it's very different now than it was with the Toilet Boys. With the Toilet Boys, we usually wrote while at rehearsal mm-hmm. and would, you know, mess around that way. And this has all been um, pretty much going into the studio with an idea and, um, and, writing it on the spot and yeah. recording a demo and writing lyrics pretty much on the spot. And um, I I didn't like, at first it was di- difficult for me because I was used to doing it with the band and it was always like a very natural progress, you know, v- sort of, you know, we grew into the songs as they were happening and mm-hmm. growing and this doing it in the studio is very f- fast. And, but I, I actually prefer it that way now. I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just, uh, wanted to do a bunch of music that I couldn't really do with the Toilet Boys because we were more sort of hard rock and mm-hmm. punk. And um, I like pop music and I like ballads. I like melancholy music. So I'm doing a lot of um, sort of poppy, melancholy-ish That's great. Uh, stuff. And it's fun to do. And, you know, I, I it's all rock-based, but um, it's just, you know something i'm doing for fun and no what do you do what do you play i don't play an instrument unfortunately like i'm not afraid to um jump in in and at rehearsal and mess around on an instrument uh, i really like playing drums but i'm no drummer but no that's that's a that's an instrument that's a, i think yeah. that's the hardest well, instrument I actually i don't know how to how to play and i would never play anything on stage but i i'll mess around at rehearsal or whatever well you play your your voice that's an instrument mm mm-hmm. mhm it's certainly it's a flesh and bone. Well, it's it's the, it's the it's the most unreliable instrument for me. It's very. Yeah. Well, I always get a vi- different vocal tone depending on where we are, how much of my range is available. Um, so that's why I never regularly book singing stuff because it's so hard for me to judge where I'm going to be vocally. Like with stand-up right. comedy doesn't matter but i do have like i would like if i sing i would like to get like be more poppy be more lit there is like there is a kelly clarkson in me there's a there's a possibility i can get there oh thank you yeah but i can get there but the the problem is is that i can't get there all the time that's the thing yeah that's why punk rock is easier for me to sing (laughs) and fun 
and then stand-up comedy is sort of the punk rock of entertainment. Right. You can kind of do everything. So yeah, you can get away with a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, which is great. I I, I think there's a, a stand-up comic deep inside me begging to get out. You know, like whenever we would have technical difficulties on stage, I would always sort of try to kill time with blabbing and trying mm-hmm. to, to to be funny and tell jokes and. Um, I can never remember jokes. That's my problem. You know what I mean? So Well, it's about the immediacy of the moment. And I think you would have to because, I mean, it's like there was a lot of humor in the Toilet Boys anyway. Right. You know, the Toilet Boys. And <laughs> you're, doing, you're, you're doing something pretty dangerous and very punk rock, in a punk rock thing where you're introducing like a very drag element into what is a very straight venue and a straight mainstream kind of an idea, punk rock, even though it is punk rock, it still kind of became very mainstream. And so, and drag is something that's such a thing. And punk rock drag is such a nouveau idea. Like that's very outre. Yeah. I think people were sort of, you know, shocked at what I was doing a lot of the times. I mean, sometimes when I look at photos of me from those days, I'm just like, is that me? Uh-huh. <laughs> because I can't, you know, it, 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 it was ballsy of me to prance on stage looking the way I looked, you know, I was practically naked and, you know, a, a big boa, but it was, to me, it was, it was just entertainment in the, you know, the same vein as Bowie with Ziggy or mm-hmm. Wayne County or Elton John with the feathers. It's very and Mark Bolin. New York Bolin. Dolls. Yeah, New, New York, York Dolls. Dolls. Yeah, very that's the... Yeah, I mean, all looking. of that stuff I really loved, of course, and whatever. But, you know, I, I I, think people just knew that I was having fun, but also that I was sincere. And I, I feel like being sincere is, is very important in, in anything you do, really. But in music, it's like, you know, if I had been faking it, um, I think I, I don't think we would have gone over as well with the cr- some of the crowds you know that we mm-hmm. do like we opened for motorhead and you know there were shows that we <laughs> you know, where we were like f- afraid like oh should i tone it down yeah. for this and i would always end nah. up like e- even going more you know over the top <laughs> but lemmy was great and he's amazing and i had met him a couple of times before that and he was always so nice to me and whatever and but um that was probably the first show where like guys were coming up to me that you know were like they, oh, I thought you were a chick at first, but you know, you, you guys are great and you guys rock. And can I take a photo with you? And I was like, I remember taking a photo with this guy who just looked like a total metal dude, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I was thinking they're making, they're just doing this. To, they're like making fun of me. They're not being, you know, they're like giving me a hard time, but they were really, and you know, we ended up having a very sort of straight based crowd. That's what I mean. You know, it was started, very, very straight. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the kind of exciting and cool. And I, I guess that was just, you know because the music was speaking to them. I don't know. But that's what punk was always about, too. That I, it was, it, There was an idea with it, that, that as well as the music. First of it was do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it was very, it was all about authenticity and, and honesty and doing what, being you and doing mm-hmm. it all. That's, yeah. that's what was great it's about it. It's very rock and roll. I mean, did you have guys that would fall in love with you, too? Um, I don't know. I, I guess maybe. I, I don't know. I've got some weird sort of comments from people and because you look like Catherine Deneuve it was like Catherine Deneuve like just like slipped in the middle of the sex pistols like that's what they look like like it was so like you swapped out Johnny Rotten for Catherine Deneuve and this is like really good Catherine Deneuve like in the hunger Catherine Deneuve and and Miriam Jackie Beat said that once to me and um, I was very flattered that I look like Catherine Deneuve no it's true I never really you know 
think that and you know but i guess i can sort of see it i mean some of the features or whatever but i mean it's one of the best compliments i could ever <laughs> you can't be that one right? yeah but in her in her heyday like not um you know not uh not an eight woman cast not an um not an indochine right <laughs> <laughs> But and also a little bit better, a little bit, a little bit better, like the repulsion. Maybe more of a Miriam, which I think is her her finest hour. Actually, yeah, was her the the, the best part of her beauty was just maybe a little bit late thirties. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know when people really you know women especially are at their most beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there's obviously very there are many different stages of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the years but i mean like marilyn monroe for example like i think she was looking most beautiful she was always flawless but she was looking most beautiful you know the couple of years before she died true and i was it's it's it's, i mean it would have been so interesting to see how she would have aged and i think she would have you know just she just seemed to be getting better and better you know right but she um, was good during like the i like that what is it the uh the um what she's got to have it or something's got to give Something's got to get those 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 lost those lost reels yeah. the couple of days before she died. The, the, the screen test. I mean the uh, wardrobe tests. I guess so and the hair and beautiful. Tests are just outrageous. Her body's great. I yeah. mean, I thought she was great in the Misfits. Yeah. I mean, I've seen all of her movies. I'm, I'm a big Me Marilyn Monroe fan, and I think she's just. Um, majestic you yeah. know it's like when you see her like like even from like the asphalt jungle which is not really a very good movie but she's in it and she just opens the door yeah and it, it's like you watch the whole movie just to see that right because it's just like there's somebody that's like totally lights up the screen in a way that nobody has ever since right before or since yeah um but she is kind of almost lost in her legend a bit like she's such an icon that her presence is so ubiquitous, it's almost meaningless to her legend. Right, that's true. You know, because you see it so much. It's become it's become so much more than what she ever started out to be. Right. And um, what she became. But, I mean, and, and kind of like unlike anybody, mm-hmm. you know, ever. I mean, there are people that are up there, of course, but she's just... I always sort of associate her with Jesus. Like it's like right. almost like is she was she real? Did she exist? Because yeah. she just seems so, she's so mythical. She's mythical and she's Christ-like. And uh, yet, you know, every every photograph, every fashion moment is, is pretty genius. And like, I love her New York period. And I love like a trench coat and a little hat and yeah. actress studio yeah. <laughs> moment. She was so, so groundbreaking on in, in so many areas and you know so ahead of her time yeah and um you know she was she was amazing it's a shame i think if she had lived and you know she 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 would only be like 86 or something now which i think she should really still be alive and Mm -hmm. i just feel like we all would have known her or at least met her you know well if she had lived she would have been total hag total fag hag she would be doing some review like with jimmy james yeah as like a young marilyn down in the (laughs) village you know her and debbie we would have we would have photos of her and debbie at studio 54 yeah she would like have a lot of really good drugs (laughs) yeah i I think it's 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 interesting to, to see what her life would have become because i i sort of have this vision of her like you know, in the late 60s, looking really gorgeous, like with really extreme eye makeup and Ooh, yeah. blonde hair, maybe longer. Yeah. And, and really hot, 
you know, and then going through like a maybe a dumpy phase in the 70s, sort of, <laughs> like, you know, maybe like yeah. Liz, like, you yeah, know, yeah, kind of still caftan. young, but, you know, sh- being pushed in a wheelchair through the airport. Right. Totally, With, totally done, 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 yeah, done, 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 yeah. In a wheelchair mm-hmm. in the airport at like, you know, in Gestad, right? <laughs> but and then she would have gotten it together. But I, it, you know, it's a shame. A renaissance in the eighties, yeah. like a fitness renaissance. Won, her, won, her, won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Won an Oscar, yes. and the then like comeback. yeah, big comeback. And then she would have done her fitness phase. I mean, you know, she might be like, like I see, I, I used to see Faye Dunaway around. Wow, another and, great uh, beauty. Another great beauty. But so we so such a weird person. Did you meet her? Yeah, and just uh. real weird. And she, you know, I met her, and she was real weird. And then she um, <laughs> called my office, where you know my management came out of, and she demanded that they send a DVD and, uh, right away. Of course. Like, you sent you get somebody, you get a messenger. Yeah. You send it right now. Like it was so like aggressive and mean and That's weird. Called right away, done away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she wanted it done away right away. <laughs> <laughs> she did she she done away wanted she sort it sort of is what i've heard i've never met her but i have i would love to and i have several friends who have worked with her and met her or whatever but she sort of has become that character she played in mommy dearest in a way like with the mm-hmm. very, you know mm-hmm. which is you know maybe why she's so like about the movie <laughs> maybe you know? which, i mean it's a genius Such movie a genius she, she's movie. so good too i don't understand why she got a lot of shit for that and i remember when it, i was a kid and it came out and and people were just like, you know, appalled that she would. And it's like, well, she was playing a part, you know, and she, she, was, was great. she was great at it. You know, whether that was all true or not, you know, who cares? It was a, a very entertaining movie. It's a know? great movie. Yeah. It's a great. Have you seen Mommy Dearest? Oh, yeah. It's oh, so yeah. great. It's Absolutely. so great. We would watch that on our tour bus. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those movies you can so literally you can watch, watch over, and over. over and over and never get sick of. Carrie is like that with me oh, too. So, good. so she wanted your DVD of one of your shows. Yeah, one of my like, shows. Like immediately. Immediately. And of and course then, she got it. She got it. Didn't and say then, anything. No. <laughs> That's funny. That it had to be straight away. Oh, well, she got it. I would have taken it over myself. I would have gone to her house and performed <laughs> well, the material <laughs> in front of her. You know, right, right there. I would have been so excited, but yeah. uh, she didn't want that. She just wanted the DVD right away. But she got it. But she didn't say anything. But I think maybe Marilyn might be like She wanted to that. give it to a, gift, a friend as a birthday gift. Maybe. Who was a big fan of yours. Maybe. And, and give it to them right away. <laughs> bet, well, that was it. That was there the, was the last minute gift. She was going to their gift. birthday dinner that night. And she needed it. <laughs> but she was very, uh, she was beautiful still, luminous, which I think Marilyn might be. Marilyn might be like her, like, you know, kind of sober lady. Right. You know, with a with a fanny pack and um, you know, doing Boniva. I think she Marilyn definitely Rover would have gotten sober at yeah. some point, and I think she would have. I think she she would have gone the sort of Liz Taylor way of like glam, high glamour, and getting work and staying glamorous. And yeah, I, because I, there's a part of me that thinks she could have gone. Well, she's a Gemini, so it could have gone either way. But she could have gone more that Bardot way of like. You know, letting her skin just go mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being a little more natural. You yeah, know? but I think she would have kept the glamour up. What about who would she have married? Subsequently, Joe DiMaggio. Well, um, again, she, she would have married him again. Yeah, again. apparently they were about they were about to going re- to get married again, and um, yeah, he never remarried. You know, that was the love. It, of bro- his it broke his heart, right? Yeah, she always liked. You know, she was like kind of maybe like the nerdy types. Like she may have like mm-hmm. written a love letter to Stephen Hawking. <laughs> later you know she may you might might have seen her with Stephen Hawking at some point or um wasn't she rumored to have been intimate with Einstein I don't know that I don't know that have you ever heard that I, I know they've met 
and um, maybe Ooh. we're friends, but I, I haven't heard that. But, you know, who That's knows? I mean, some people say she slept with a lot of men. Carl Sagan. Some, yeah. Carl Sagan would be a good a good one for her. Hottie. Yeah. Um, and I think her and Liz Taylor would have finally buried the hatchet and become friends. They should have. They should have. Yeah. They should have. Um, but she, uh, yeah, I, I always think about her life and, and, and what it would have been like. And then I always try to mirror my life to it. Like, I always wish that I was real reliant on the Strasburgs. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wish I had, like, Lee Strasberg. I could call Lee Strasberg. I just have Lee Turgeson mm-hmm. that I can call <laughs> and freak out. Have a different Lee. He's more reliant on me. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, I, I wish I had, like, Su- like Susan Strasberg. What was her, her acting teacher, Nina? Nina, uh, her that the uh, oh, the she's got that book, the the acting book, right? Yeah. Oh, Marilyn's first acting. Yeah, Nina was it? Was, um, was she was Nadia uh, Tanya? No, no. She was a lesbian, and she was. Yeah, su- they they was, were rumored to have it. Yeah, that was like pre-fame, and when she first became famous. Yeah. Um, N- Natasha. Yeah. Lightess or yeah, Lightess. Like, Natasha Lightess. They yeah. they they reference her in um the movie Marilyn and Me, which I really like too. I have yet to see that. I was so hesitant because I just couldn't stomach the way Michelle Williams looked as Marilyn. Although I love Michelle Williams, I'm a fan. But to me, she looked like um, a stripper from the mid-50s doing a Marilyn. (laughs) Like a maybe... Doing their best Marilyn look. Not maybe Van Doren, but who's the one that does... It's um, the one that does Exotic World. Jane Mansfield. Yeah, she is actually... um, uh, She is the... She was the Marilyn stripper. In the fifties, oh. oh, um, okay. she did right. Marilyn Monroe. Mar- oh, okay. Um, they all kind of did Marilyn. They all did. Guess, but they all did. But you're right. You're right. But you know, I um, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, I and then I, I mean, she, they had the styling down, and you know, I saw clips, and she had the voice and everything. But um, I do want to see it just because. You yeah. know what's good about that movie? It's not exactly her performance, which is pretty great. It is um the way that the people acted, the, the way that people around her. I um, think Jim Carter's in it. He's in um. Downton Abbey Mm -hmm. and um, there's all the actors in it Uh, the the way that they set it up you know it's like Marilyn going into this like little like kind of British village and living and um, she befriends this PA on the movie and that's the movie's really about his story right. with you know being her I've seen assistant his do- the documentary on him and mm. that whole thing. That's oh i haven't seen that yeah that's really interesting but the the uh that, that i need to see but the movie itself is just about um oh, the way people freak out at her and they did that so well because that seems so realistic that people would just be like you know f- like he's saying well i'm gonna be here with marilyn monroe and they're like oh sorry our laddie and then she shows up and she's all into him and he's just a boy <laughs> But I can really see, some, you know, knowing as much as I do about her life, I can see that happening. I'm right. like, wow, I can see her befriending like a young man, which is, I'm sure that's what she did. And, you know. Yeah, there's that fan, James Haspiel, who has several books out that are great. And she, he was a teenage fan in New York who, whenever she came to New York, she would, uh, you know, it started out like a fan fr- uh, star r- relationship. Mm-hmm. And then they actually became friends. She started inviting him over to her apartment and they would hang out. And there's tons of photos of them together. And he would always just, there was like six young fans that would always wait outside her building whenever where she lived and and there's all these amazing photos you should check him out yeah but you know yeah she seemed very cool and down to earth you know that's Mm -hmm. why i think we would have all you know probably been friendly with her at some point i know it's nice to think about i gotta check that movie out yeah (laughs) and didn't she win the the um the uh oscar for that michelle williams did she i don't know or she was nominated. I don't know. I can't remember. Was it for that? <coughs> I don't know. She was very good. She was nominated. I can't remember. She was very good. 
But I it's like, just, yeah. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, no. I just, um, I just like the idea of like, you know, like a cinema legend like that, like befriending. And I don't know if these boys are gay, but like, I like, I think that they might be, some of them might be, but then you always like, I love that, like a cinema legend, like a young gay boy that she's made her son. Right. You know, and they sort of fulfill like a lot of things for each other that they can't really have, like she couldn't really have a son and they couldn't really have a mom like that. When like, right. spe- especially like a dream mom yeah. who's like glamorous and beautiful and like everything that they would love to like be or like have a mom be. And so it's like a, it, to me, it's like an ideal kind of bonding, like a, you know, that it's sort of like a fag, fag, hag relationship that's really mother son, but right. so tight and real right. and deep, yeah. you know, and that's something that I really admire. So I always like look for those kinds of relationships in my life, you know, for sure, but also in um, cinema and stuff. So that's it. That's a that movie's a good example yeah. of that. Oh, I got to check it out. It's good. And Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth Taylor had a lot of those like young gay. Oh yeah. She always had young gay men pushing her wheelchair. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Michael Jackson always had a lot. Yeah. <laughs> But that's what I want. Like when I'm like 80, 90, I'm sure I'll probably live that long. I'll look like a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look like a monkey in a jeweled cabinet. <laughs> I'm like a giant glasses. That's gorgeous. And an oxygen tank. <laughs> and a gorgeous 20-year-old boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like the guy that married Martha Ray, that kind of shit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That husband that's... <laughs> I mean, basically, I just want to be Martha Ray. I mean, it's... <laughs> Who doesn't? You want you want that teeth? I do want to live that long, at least eighty or ninety or more. Do you want what? to live long enough to be a burden on some poor bar? Exactly. Some some queen, <laughs> some queen, just super happy, just, just really smiling, always like shirtless under a jacket or like you know arms out. Yeah, just but as long queen. as you have your mind and your wits about you. I mean, I, yeah. I I'd like to be able to get around on my own too. I mean, Betty White's like ninety two or something. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. gets around. I mean, it's it's amazing, you know, but mm-hmm. um. Yeah, as long as we're not feeble, completely feeble. Well, even if you're feeble, you you would hope to have enough money that you could just still stay kind of like everything's kind of fun. Right. I mean, even if you're feeble, it's kind of fun. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying it's fun to be in a wheelchair. I've been in a wheelchair a couple of times for different things. Not that it's fun, but it is kind of. Um, <laughs> it is kind of relaxing. You could get used to. It. <laughs> Well, I heard get, it's it's yeah. it's, in, it's inducive, isn't it? I heard it's really easy to get an, a, a wheelchair at an airport. Like I thought, you had to be, you know, elderly or yeah. have some documentation like a cast or something. Or, yeah. And um, somebody said, "No, no. Whenever I'm hungover, I ask for a wheelchair." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god! All the times I'm hungover in a in a airport, I have to do that. I think I would be too embarrassed, though." Because you, at some point, you think they're gonna know. They're right. gonna know that I'm bladded. Right. <laughs> Well, I've had a, I've had like wheelchairs in airports a couple of times, and I mean, I needed them for what I was going on, but it was like, you know, I I didn't get I didn't have to be in the wheelchair for long enough where I, I it became an upsetting thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I still ex- experienced fun right while doing it, and Bruce Daniels had to push me around, so I had to <laughs> yell at him. That's amazing. But it's it, it, you don't have waving to waving to people, just waving. <laughs> You don't have to have any kind of a documentation or a doctor's note to get a wheelchair. You can just get one. You just ask for one. Yeah, you just ask for one. If you get there, you just go, I need a wheelchair. Well, now everybody that listens to this is going to be getting wheelchairs, and now it's going to be ruined. You're going to have to have some kind of doctor's (laughs) note. And everyone who really needs a wheelchair is going to be be screwed. (laughs) They're all gone. They're all booked. (laughs) 
sorry, you're going to have to hobble through security and your gate is the furthest one, you know, in the other terminal that you're going to have to walk to because, you know. Well, the other thing too is the, um, that cunt, that special cunt that Uh takes people and more, and more, usually more elderly people Mm -hmm. and a few people infirm like that one because it always goes by and there's always shitloads of seats and you're like, well, why can't I get on that? Right. I know. What is the? What's the? What is the? How do I get on that one? How do I get a ticket for that? Because that's it going exactly I where I want to go. Those carts are good. I've get I've gotten them a couple times. If you have a tight connection, and also if you can get into special services, that's another tier of special. Marilyn Monroe would be able to always get. That. <laughs> she could do. That. She could do. I wish How she was she alive. Go through, well, it was different flying in those days. You know what I mean? It yeah. was like. Mm-hmm. Really, pretty much just famous people and rich people. Glamorous flying. Yeah. yeah. She would be in a stole and then they come down off of the stairs. I love that when they came down off the I stairs. Know. I always, that's how I always envisioned flying, you know, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, I've, I've got to do that a couple of times, but it certainly wasn't as glamorous as like. It's never you know, as like the Beatles coming down off the yeah. stairs or But she would just be fans. carried yeah. through the airport. Yeah. Right. There'd be no wheelchair. They'd just, yeah. just hoist like her up in this chair. Hoist her. Um, but I wonder, like, how does somebody like Madonna, you know, travel? And I bet they I bet they fly privately. Oh, yeah. But uh, do you think she always just flies private? I don't know. Like every once in a while, she's got to grab a commercial one. Right. Coach. In, in um, 2008, <laughs> uh, September or so, just to give a time frame, I was on a plane from uh, Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., in the, in the, in the, a section back, like not, definitely not in first, but a section back. Mm-hmm. And right, and it was, uh, the end of September, might have been, uh, yeah, m- might have been towards October, sorry. Uh, somebody, somebody jumps on at the very last moment in, in an, in an outfit, <laughs> a weird wig, a cat, like a captain type hat, a black one, uh, a black tuxedo coat, um, Hot black hot pants sure. and uh, gigantic heels, and it was Lady Gaga. Wow! And she jumped on right at the last moment, mm-hmm. and um, and then got to DC. And you know, if you've ever been in DC, you you have to from the the um the where the gate to the baggage area, you have to take that little tr- tram t- type mm-hmm. trolley yeah. thing that goes across. So it's six in the morning and she's there still dressed like that, which is brilliant that she was dressed like that. Yeah. Because everybody else is in sweatpants and Crocs and she's right. done mm-hmm. up to the full, you know, and, um, and she's on this sort of tram and, and, and this is, she was known, but not like she was to be right. like where it would be, you know, just everybody would know. And you you know, people were looking at her like, what, what are you, who is this dressed like that uh-huh. at this hour? Yeah. It was yeah. so bizarre. And then there were like two guys with cameras once we got to like baggage that were taking a picture and she hid. <laughs> she was right. very coy at that point. Oh, like, she didn't want to be noticed in that outfit. She no. was, she was yeah. dressed like, uh, what did I say? She was dressed like a cocktail waitress at a casino run by the Luftwaffe. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I hope we see her at the airport now. We're going to the airport now. I think she now. flies private all the time. Oh, where are you guys Pro- going back to? We are going, I'm going to back to Atlanta to go to work tomorrow. He is going back to LA. We came here because I want to get it a job on The View. So I tried to. Oh we tried God, to we, we made great. some videos and we're trying. They just hired Jenny McCarthy, so um, but there's still two slots available. Two so seats. We, we, wow. We think it might be happening, but we just came here for that, and then we had some other stuff to do, and we wanted to see see you and talk to you. Yay. So where can people tweet you? Um, 
at the real miss guy okay and um they can find out about your album what's your album called when's it dropping it's called god save new york it's an ep and it's actually um i'm having a big release par- listening party next week that's great yeah it's and, great. Um, it's available. It'll be available on iTunes and videos on YouTube, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, will you tour with it? <clears throat> Hopefully, um, it's hard, you know, to tour these days, and um, so I'm going to probably do a few cities, a few of the major cities, mm-hmm. and uh, doing a New York show in September. And oh, great! I'd like to get on a tour opening for somebody. That would be really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be great. And then so, and, and then you can you can um, you Facebook, you Instagram. I know, Instagram I know you both lot. that. I really like that. I like that too. I yeah. love your Instagrams. And then, so like you can find out about everything on social media. And we're just so grateful that you came and sat and talked to us. We're, we're oh big fans Thank of you, Miss Guy. We love the Toilet likewise, Boys. Likewise, yes. And um, so we, you can listen to us on soundcloud.com. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, you can tweet me at Margaret Cho. Where can they tweet you, Jim? At Jimmy Shelter. Um, we love our listeners. You should tweet us at, at Monsters of Talk if you want to talk to us, but uh, we will talk to you <laughs> next time. Bye.